the gloves are about to come off. It is time to drop your butt. <laughs> Samantha Gash made her first appearance on Australian Survivor in 2017 as a 32-year-old endurance athlete who joined the Asaga tribe alongside iconic players like Jericho, Luke, Henry, Sarah, Michelle, and of course, Mark Wales, who Sam would form her closest relationship with on the tribe. She played hard out of the gate, working to ensure that Joan would be the first person sent home that season. Though her control over the tribe rubbed Luke the wrong way, and he helped to force a tie at that vote as a show of dominance over the tribe. Asaga went on an immunity-winning streak, despite Henry trying multiple times to throw the immunity challenges in order to break up Sam and Mark, who had become a power couple on the tribe. Finally, on day 16, after Asaga lost immunity for the second time that season, the entire tribe, save for Mark, blindsided Sam, sending her home. Sam may not have won the half mill, but she did walk away with an even better prize, Mark Wales. Sam and Mark went on to have a son together, Harry, and married in 2019. Sam and Mark returned to Australian Survivor in 2022, this time as a couple competing in Blood versus Water. Sam joined the Blood Tribe, where she got to play alongside the Queen of Survivor, Sandra Diaz-Twine. This time, Sam had learned from her mistakes and came back as a bona fide student of the game. She demonstrated this at Blood's first trip to Tribal Council, where she cast a sole stray vote for Sandra and then pinned it on Juicy Dave, causing distrust and tension between Sandra and Dave. Sam then participated in the ousting of Sophie, who had become an early threat by rallying the alpha men on the tribe to her side. Unfortunately for her, Sophie was not out of the game, but rather joined the Water Tribe, where she developed a vendetta against Sam for her role in the vote. Sam went on to work closely with her main ally in the pre-merge game, Jesse, to coordinate votes that flushed idols and blindsided big threats, including her adversary, Sophie, and her one-time allies, Ben and Croc. At the merge, Sam was reunited with her husband, Mark, and she learned that he had found a hidden immunity idol, though she didn't learn it from Mark. Together, they found themselves in the core of a majority alliance that dominated the votes post-merge. As she noticed her ally Jesse starting to stray from her side in favor of his brother Jordy, who happened to be targeting Mark's idol as a threat, she made one of the boldest moves in Survivor history by offering to conceal an idol that he found, all the while knowing that she would vote him out that very night. With Jesse gone, Sam and Mark had two hidden immunity idols and a worthy adversary in Joker Jordy. Sam spent the rest of her time in the game giving an Oscar-worthy performance convincing her allies that she did not steal Jesse's idol. Together, she and Mark navigated the game by leveraging their strong relationships with their allies, allowing them to withhold their idols longer than anyone could have imagined. However, after surviving two major twists, the Purgatory Alliance finally succeeded in swaying Juicy and Josh to vote for Sam. 
In a pre-planned move, Sam and Mark did not play an idol, instead opting to leave both idols in the game with Mark. Sam Gash and Mark Wales are the first all-returning pair of contestants to compete in a Blood vs. Water season. They are the only pair to make it 40 days into the game. And Sam has emerged as one of the greatest strategic masterminds of Australian Survivor. Plus, she's one of this podcast's biggest fans. Welcome to Drop Your Buffs, Sam Gash. I think my greatest claim to fame is that I'm your number one fan. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. We appreciate it. We need all the fans we can get. (laughs) Give us No, you guys have been great this. um, Yeah, I've been... I have definitely shared your podcast with many people. I feel like I'm to credit because Chrissy listens to you guys. Absolutely. Chrissy is <laughs> I feel hysterical. like every Australian listener we have is because of you. Pretty much. Yeah. No, I think what? that's confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm delighted to be here. I'm delighted to kind of talk through a bit of the, well, whatever direction you want to take it, the strategy, the, it's a big season. It was a big 40 days. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. So you played a brief but impressive game back in 2017. How did your preparation for that season compare to your preparation for Blood vs. Water? I think even if you are a Survivor fan, it's very hard to know what you need to do uh, for the first time around. And so I thought I was doing all the right things, like physically getting ready, and I think I was prepping to not eat that much food. And I definitely thought about strategy and I watched a lot of US Survivor, uh, but I don't think I was prepared at all. Um, I had actually just run across India probably four or five months before I went out to Samoa. And I was like, if I can run across India, I can literally do anything. And then I got onto the beach in Samoa and I realized, oh no, like I literally have done completely the wrong prep. Every bit of prep I've ever done um, leading to this point is about teams of people working together on the same mission. And here I am with 24 people who have completely conflicting missions, which is to break down everyone else's. And I just could not flip my mindset to that. Mm. Yeah. So you mentioned you have watched a lot of US Survivor. I think it's safe to say that you're a student of the game. And you've studied past seasons ahead of returning. I know there was a little clip package where you said you listened to a lot of podcasts, and that certainly got my ears perked up. So when you arrive for your second chance, you see the queen of Survivor, Sandra Diaz-Twine, show up in a damn helicopter. (laughs) And I have to imagine that at once you're kind of fangirling, I certainly would be, but you're also kind of shitting it when you see that. What was going through your head when you found out that you'd be playing with Sandra? Uh, I think it was the combination of both, shitting myself and also like trying (laughs) to keep my cool. (laughs) Because I don't think it's great when people fangirl or fanboy um, because at the end of the day, you know, people who have who are known for something, at the end of the day, if they're playing a game, they just want to be able to interact and engage and meet on a mutual level. And so at that point, for Sandra and to a much very, 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 very less extent me, a lot of people knew about us, but we knew nothing about them. And so I just kept thinking, I want to try and connect with Sandra where she feels like, you know, a meeting of the minds. And so I... 
I was excited. I remember it pretty early on. I definitely was putting a big opening to Sandra of like, oh, I want to play with you, <laughs> but doing it like really <laughs> chill. And she just goes, I know with a strand survivor, it's 47 days, you know, like let's just keep cool. And she basically was indicating like, let's not talk strategy. Let's not say anything. And she was right because I get excitable and I took that cue uh, as well as the cue from my first season of let other people lead the first strategic chat. And there really wasn't much strategy for the first five days, which is mm. so different than my first season of Survivor where within the first minute it was strategy, which I think is a, a lot more reflective of US Survivor. Yeah. Mm. Right. Instant, instantaneous yeah. questioning. Why are you doing that? Why are you walking over there? It, it's it's pretty wild to see how quickly it can happen. <laughs> And terrifying, but it didn't. It didn't on this season, particularly for blood, because we didn't go to um, we didn't go to tribal council for two votes. So really, five days. Um, it was like kumbaya, and I'm like, cool. Well, th- th- I was like, if this is the season, my whole thing was to like, you've got to be aware of yourself, but the most important thing is to be aware of everyone else, and you want to blend with the people. So to know yourself means you can depart from. Can you believe that that was just Chrissy calling me? <laughs> I'm, turn my phone <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you're not taking this moment. <laughs> um, yeah, I really think like with Survivor, like if you know yourself, you can actually depart from yourself. If you're not clear of yourself, it's very hard to adapt and be a chameleon. Hmm. I always felt like you had such a beautiful presence on the island and your awareness of self. And it's unfortunate based on just interviews that I've watched of you, especially with, you know, like your swaying and whatnot, like physical body language, like, you know, yourself, your loved ones and your friends do, but it's used against you in the edit. And that's pretty wild to see that it makes the audience feel like, Oh, she doesn't know what's going on at all <laughs> with her physically. And it, that's so uh-huh. unfortunate that something could be used against you in that light. But yeah, I know. I you mean, you seem to really understand yourself. You, it shows. Yeah. The, the sw- we should totally talk about the swaying thing because I did it from day one. And so everyone from red tribe totally got it. And it was this, because I did it when I wasn't under threat with them. So they just saw that as like, funny Sam, she can't sit still. And I always talked about it being like a bit of a Tai Chi thing. And so everyone also used to copy me. (laughs) But I got to the merge and then kind of halfway through that merge game where there's a lot more blue people who hadn't taken the time to get to know me. And so the only time they're getting to know me is where – like I'm definitely seen as a high threat and therefore they're critically analysing anything in their favour. And, you know, that's probably a good observation for me where, you know, you have to maybe moderate yourself in the second half of the game, but that's hard. You've got to keep to yourself as well because me as a player is watching people's change of behaviour. So because I did the sway from the beginning, if all of a sudden I stopped the sway, if I was interpreting that, I'm like, okay, they're not being themselves anymore. Well, there is a reason you were seen as a big threat. One of your first big moves in the game was casting a stray vote for Sandra at your first tribal council and then pinning that vote on Dave, a.k.a. Juicy. (laughs) Can you walk us through that tribal, your decision to vote for Sandra and the fallout afterwards? Yeah, so I was very, very shocked that Dave just did a red herring and started to kind of cast me as a 
well, what I definitely was, a social butterfly. He also called me a bedhopper, which they didn't show in the edit. He goes, yes, <laughs> social butterfly and a bedhopper. And I laughed because in my first season I got in trouble because I just slept next to Mark. And so for this season I was like, I'm just going to I'm gonna not have one spot. I'm just going to move around. And so when he said that, I'm like, oh, gosh, he's, he's actually accurately summed up my game. And so that's probably why I got up and did a live tribal. And the main reason is in my first season of Survivor, I went not fighting. And I was like, I'm not going to do that again. Like if I, I feel like he could turn people, who knows, but I needed to get up because in such an early part of the game, it looked like we were going to change the votes onto him. And I was nervous that the rest of the people wouldn't be able to place the numbers. So I just, yeah, I got up. I told everyone what to do. I told the people at the end to put down Kate as a swing in case um, Dave had an idol. Um, Everyone else was going to put down Dave. And I put down Sandra for two reasons. One reason is Kate could have had an idol. She was looking hectically hard for an idol because she knew her name was being thrown up. And I also thought if Sandra was really on the pulse of things, she should have written my name down. Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought she could have written my name down, Dave could have written my name down, and then I could go home. So I just thought I'm going to put Sandra. No one's going to think that I'm going to put Sandra because clearly I just told everyone to write down Dave. Um, And I I was so nervous. Like I remember when I got back to camp, I was like, I need to tell someone. I need to tell someone that I what I've done. And then I'm like, oh, come your farm girl that is the worst thing this is the game and you're now playing hard and like you've got to double down deep and I could see that everyone thought that David did it and I'm just like oh David (laughs) 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 and Sandra was furious like so many times I just like she'd be speaking to me and going I can't believe Dave's apologized to everybody for last night but he hasn't apologized to me and I'm like oh I guess we just can't 100% trust him, can we, if he just can't own up to his mistakes? <laughs> wow. It was so funny. <laughs> I love it so much. It really was, I think, one of my – I think I said it on this podcast. It was one of my favorite early moves of the entire season and the way it stretched out for multiple <gasps> rounds. It, and it really festered in Sandra's mind, this Juicy Dave vote. And I think it, it was one of the came th- out. No, nah, never came out. I remember when I got on the jury and I told Red Tribe before Dave got there and they were blown away. They were just like, I can't believe you did that. And I think I got some respect um, on a different level when I was like, yeah, like I was playing from the beginning. Like I didn't just come out from the idol. I came out from the beginning. Um, and then I remember when I told Dave and he's like, I just don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but I did call Sandra. I gave her a call because I'm like, oh, I need to tell her. And she's like, I've already, I found out the first thing I asked when I got out of the game was who voted <laughs> for me on round one. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Well, there's somebody else from that tribe we need to talk about, and that is Sophie. First, very quick, kind of yes or no, but. It was my suspicion, and I think a lot of people kind of picked up on this. Were you aware when Jonathan announced that the other tribe was going to join your tribal council that this was a non-elimination round? Okay, so I thought there was a strong possibility that something was going on. Um, 
I wasn't 100% convinced, but I've always felt you've got to play the game and then deal with the twists afterwards. Mm. By that point, the conversation about voting out Sophie had been going for over two days. And so everyone was moving in that direction. And, you know, I didn't want to be the one, like, I didn't want to switch everything up and cause chaos right before tribal council. Um, and you didn't know what it was going to be like, would she stay with our tribe? Would she go with the other tribe? So, yes, I had alarm bells, which is why I had that conversation with Jesse. But, you know, you've also just got to go with where the votes are going. And there was such a movement against her. And, like, there's a lot of reasons for that. But, um, yeah. <laughs> well, follow-up question, <laughs> because right after she swaps to the water tribe, the blue tribe, I, I really stuck with the blood and water tribes for a long yeah, time. Yeah, me but, too. Okay, we'll call them the blue tribes. Uh, right after she swaps to the blue tribe, you have this combat challenge where you are sumo smacking each other down in uh, on a platform in the water, right? And... Off the show, Sophie talks about this deal that she struck with you to keep her alpha boys safe over on the Blood Tribe uh, in exchange for letting you knock her into the water. I'm just curious, what's the truth with regards to that story? Yep. And also, side note, why did you become the target of Sophie's wrath? Um... Well, obviously, the three guys that she was working with didn't know about it. So it was the three guys stuck with her and the rest of us voted her out. So I feel that she I probably, she probably felt that I did the biggest betrayal out of everyone else. So I, I would say that's the reason. And, you know, you've got to point the wrath at someone and why not point it at me, which I thought it was so crazy that she was bitching me out next to Mark. But that's, you know, her choice. Um, but let's go to the challenge. She raises her hand up and I straight away put mine up. Um, and I just remember thinking, my mum always said to, you got to stand up against the bullies. And so I was like, I'm going to do this. And I thought it's a win-win. I thought, um, no one's going to expect me to win. So that's fine if I lose. But if I can win this, like, it's going to look great. And so I went and like, she was talking the whole time, like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, let's not, let's not fight, blah, blah, blah. And then the first thing she said was, you've got to let me win this. I've got to prove to the blue tribe that I am an asset. And I'm like, there's no way I'm letting you win this. Um, and so we kept going. It probably went for 15 minutes. Um, and then <laughs> she's like, okay. I'm like, will you let me win? I remember I said, will you let me win? Um, and she goes, uh, will you look after the boys? And I remember laughing because I'm like, I'm working with them. Like I've never not worked with them. Um, and I could see she was gassed. We'd been going for ages. And so it's hard for me to say if she let me win or she just gave up because, like, she was exhausted. I was exhausted. I do know for a fact she didn't go at me as hard as she could have. Um, but I feel like I won that. Um, I feel that I won it on strategic level and I feel like I would not have let her beat me based on my endurance level. But, yeah. I mean, I think it's crazy that she then told everyone on her water tribe that she let me win because I was like, that's not good strategy, girl. Like, they're not going to think you're particularly loyal to water if you're mm -hmm. letting the opponent win. So it, for me, it's questionable about whether she let me win or she gave up. Mm. And where do you stand with Sophie today? 
Um, I mean, for me, I make a really clear delineation between the game and real life, but Sophie doesn't. Uh, and she's blocked me on social media. I mean, even after it was so clear in the edit that I was the one on the fence and that, like, I wasn't driving the first vote against her, you know, she just, she has it in for me. <laughs> and um, I don't like how she uses her social media to kind of, I mean, I just feel like she's a bit of a bully, but I would I would have been happy to create a line between game and real life, uh, but we let bygones be bygones. Uh, I guess you're not getting any of her pajamas in the mail then. All right. All right. I, I guess, uh, everyone else did. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it. <laughs> did Mark get Don't them? That would like, be the oh, well. that would be the funny one. Did Mark get any jammies? N- no, this is the craziest thing. Like after the game, she was like, you know, all like, Mark, I love you. And and I actually did reach out to her after the game. I'm like, hey, because everyone kept telling me that she was talking about me. And I just messaged her. I was like, hey, um, I, I, can, I hear that you're talking a lot about me. Would you like to have a conversation so you can ask me any questions and just have like a clearing? Uh, and she's like, no, no problem whatsoever. I'm like, well, clearly there is a problem, but, you know. Yeah. It's everyone's choice how they want to be out of the game as it is in the game. And life is short and if someone wants to block you on social media, don't put any attention into it because that's their issue, not yours. Hear that, Ricard? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can only imagine how many people block you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one over and over again and then an unblock and then a block and then an unblock. We could talk about that another yeah, time. Yeah, but, that, but that's... <laughs> But that's, I mean, but there are people who listen to your podcast who have dealt with online bullying and obviously it's been a theme of my experience of this season and mm-hmm. the Sophie thing was the starting of it. Um, for all, particularly the younger kids listening to this, it's their problem, not yours. And it takes such grace and love of yourself to be that way and, of course, it affects you, but just remember it's their problem. Oh, look at Sam being all inspirational too. <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> no, but you know it, it's a big thing. It is. Mm-hmm. No, it is. And it's it's not to at all deviate from your interview, but it's been a very difficult thing to navigate in the US for me. And you know, I, I love to hear how others yeah. are dealing with it, the limitations they give themselves with social media, or if they are on social media, how they choose to interact. You know, it it takes a lot. It takes a lot to deal with it all sometimes. And I love to hear it. I truly do. Um, You and Mark had some tough negotiations on where you should align yourselves post-merge, having both developed strong relationships with different people until that point. How difficult was it to sync up your individual games in those early merge days? Well, I mean, it was near impossible that we weren't going (laughs) to sync them up. Um, in the sense of like we just had different people. Um, it would have been easier if one of us on their respective tribes was playing a smaller game and it was being a bit more of a follower. But we both took quite an active role in relationship building, in vote, you know, blocking. And so therefore we come to merge and I think he had eight people from, you know, Red 2.0 and I had I think we were five uh, in Water 
And I was really close with all of the water people. We had basically gotten out all the people that we wanted. We'd gone to tribal after tribal and had to deal with people that we voted and came back. Um, so we were tight through adversity. And, um, and we were fun. I've got to say that Water Tribe 2.0 was a lot of fun. So it was fun, dirty work. It's like the best tribe to have been a part of. But Mark was really adamant that he didn't want to budge on his people. And I could see the writing on the wall, like he had numbers, but I also saw the writing on the wall for my game as an independent player. And it's very hard, blood versus water, where, you know, the goal was to play strong independent games, but then somehow marry them up in the second half of the game. Somebody had to yield at that point. And I had already decided coming into merge, I needed to lay low for two votes because I had put my head out of the water pretty heavily pre-merge. And Jesse and I both had that decision, um, which is why you see both of us um, kind of going with Geordie and I went with Mark uh, and we kind of ended up having Khan and then Mel go. Um, but it, no, it wasn't fun. Uh, I think we dealt with it the best a couple can in that situation. Um, we've definitely had some conversations about it in the real world because I truly do believe that Khan would have been loyal to me for a really long time. That said, Khan's amazing and, you know, if we didn't get rid of him then, he could have galvanised a lot of those people and it would have been against probably Mark because mm-hmm. Khan always wanted Josh out and Josh was Mark's number one. Well, let's talk about your number one for a minute. Other than Mark, I guess you're number two. We need to talk about Jesse's idol. I believe that you had your mind made up to cut Jesse before he ever found an idol. And so I'm wondering, can you walk us through exactly what happened uh, and your thought process when you came upon him reading his idol clue and when you offered to conceal it for him? So generously. So generous. Such a kind person. Don't don't wear your shorts down with that idol. Let me take it in my sarong with no undies underneath. <laughs> um, you are so, so right. The, the deal had been done. I had moved over to Mark's Alliance uh, and I was working with Josh to save him that night. Prior to that positioning, um, I was 100% as well as Mark. We were going to vote Josh out of the game because Geordie told us that Josh wanted Mark out. And then it got uncovered that the only reason Josh had ever said Mark's name is because Geordie had told them about the idol. And so once we had all the information, it was like, okay, well, whose deceit is worse? Geordie telling someone about the idol or Josh reacting to that information and doing what anyone should when someone has an idol, contemplate voting them out. And it was very, very clear that Geordie was playing both sides. Um, Post-merge, Jesse and Geordie were like two little teenage boys running in the bushes, having conversations, acting erratic. And I just forecasted ahead and I'm like, do you want to work with stability or chaos? I, I, I hate to use the word chaos any more times than it's been used in the season, but that's what it was. Um, And so, yeah, that's why Jesse was going. Um, And, in fact, Jesse would have gone 
if none of them got um, immunity that day, which I don't think is very clear in the edit. And the reason that was the case is we all thought that Jesse was the better player. Um, Mm -hmm. Jesse had made a lot of great moves with me (laughs) pre-merge, so I knew how good he was. So if we were going to weaken that pair, you go after the strongest person. And Geordie had no social pull uh, at that point. So, But when Geordie got it, it became clear again, I find that the boys had a clue at the reward and I couldn't believe that no one else in this new majority alliance didn't like stalk them down. I, I was shocked that Josh, who was on the chopping block that night, just was like, no, nah, it's fine. I'm just going to trust Mark and Sam. And I guess that's the difference of like our games. I have a high work rate, which, you know, people can call it paranoia or getting into every conversation. That's just me. Like, I move around, I flit and float, and when I see someone looking for an idol, I'm going to follow them. Um, And so I came across Jesse after, like, running across a river, commando rolling in the bushes. It was, like, (laughs) quite a situation. And then I came into Jesse and and saw him literally shaking, literally shaking, going, you have found an immunity um, idol. And I was really – the first gut reaction was I was stoked for him. Because the personal side of me was like, you've just found an idol. I'm so happy. So that was a genuine moment. And I really was like, okay, is he going to play this tonight? What's going to happen? I'm like, information is power. Just knowing that he has an idol and finding out if he's going to play it or if he feels spooked is helpful. But he tells me, no, I'm not going to play it. And so I said to him, do you think we should maybe bury this idol? Because everyone thinks you have a clue, if you come back with a bulge in your shorts, they're going to 100% know that you have it. And if you feel safe tonight, let's maybe bury this by the well. So that's what the plan was. Um, I hadn't kind of thought that maybe then I'll get it. I, I really didn't think too far ahead. It happened so quickly. And then he put it in his board shorts and I was like, oh, I can kind of see it. <clears throat> kind of not. Um, <laughs> and then I just... <laughs> I just said, I was like, do you want me to take it? I mean, that was pretty played out in full. Like, that wasn't edited. I took it, um, and then we basically had to get to tribal council. So we're going to tribal council. I had no time to tell Mark. He had no time to tell Geordie. And we're sitting at tribal council, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. I've either got myself into the best situation or the worst situation, and it kind of happened without much premeditation. I love Please tell me, like, I think, I mean, I don't think everyone would have got the idol in their possession, but I think if you had the idol in your possession, eight out of ten people would have, like, let him go with the idol stuck with them. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And I think think the interesting thing is, like, the only reason I got it into my possession was the 30 days of trust – and relationship that I had with Jesse. And that's where I think the strategy actually was, like that I was able to get the idol. Not that I kept the idol, that I got the idol in the yes. first place. Now, there's this quick little moment where I, I don't know if the soundbite is authentic to what actually took place right after you had put it in your sarong, but you say to Jesse, don't tell Jordy right now, just go, something along those lines. Do, do you remember saying that and did he ask you like, oh, why, why shouldn't I tell him? Like, do, do you re- recall that little bit of conversation walking back before what I assume was lockdown for uh, tribal council? Mm. 
Yeah, so I do remember it. We were walking across the river. We were walking to the well to bury it and we saw Geordie coming and I I was more saying it of like, we've got to move. Like we're literally about to head to tribal council. If you, in my head, I was like, if you start to tell Geordie this, maybe you'll get influenced by him and we're on a mission and I wanted him to, I wanted it to not be in his hands when he went to tribal council. Um, So that's what the context of me saying, don't tell Geordie, it's not, like I knew at some point he was going to tell Geordie if he was going to get voted out. Like, like at some point Geordie was going to know. Okay. I just didn't know if that was okay. like included just to add the suspense or if it really did happen. Oh no, it to- it totally happened, but it I don't think it was like. I mean, I mean, in, it probably was in context of like, oh, Geordie's going to probably tell you get that idol back in your possession yeah. or let me <laughs> yeah. hold it. But I'm just like, don't tell him. Let's just keep going with what we're going to do. So, um, sadly, after you're voted out, in your Jury Villa episode, you said that you and Mark planned to have one of you sacrifice yourselves to allow for the remaining person to stay in the game with two idols. How long did you have this plan, and did you know that would be the night to sacrifice would have to be made? I love that you guys weeks ago talked about this being something that you would consider doing. Um, I think the first thing is like Mark and I really thought about the theme, blood versus water. Like all our analysis pre-entering the game was like, what is unique about this season? Like how can we lean into it? How can we maybe do things that you you don't characteristically do because you're playing a solo game where you might form alliances, but they're not an alliance with someone that you share a bank account with. Um, And so we had come up with that strategy before going into the game that we would be willing to do something like that. So we first thought about it uh, on the very tribal council that Mark gets taken out. Uh, This was my idea. I was like, we don't know. If they're going to put votes on any of us, we don't know who it's going to be. The rule is you have to pass over the idol before the first vote is read. So really you've got to make your decision before you go into tribal council, Uh, particularly because we didn't want to make it obvious that we had a second one. We couldn't really be passing stuff in tribal. And we just thought, you know what? Let's just leave them back at camp. I wanted to bury it. I think I've clearly got a thing with burying stuff. Um, (laughs) And Mark was like, oh, my God, I don't want to bury it. And so that's when he thought, well, let's put them in the shoes. And then it was just hilarious because obviously three people get taken out and I was like, oh, gosh. But our whole thing is like we wanted to see how far we could get with the two of us to keep the power of the two idols to hopefully someone to get to final five or maybe at best final four. And the crazy thing, we were only one vote off that. We were only one vote off guaranteeing one of us, in this situation, Mark, to getting to Final Four. I just want to ask that looking back at the entire post-merge game, so much of your game is defined around this idol and having to act around it, having to constantly think about it, having to constantly sort of retort against Jordy, who is telling everybody that, yes, indeed, you have it. And as I've been saying, the more he says it, the more convincing it becomes. And so I'm just wondering, looking back on it, was holding Jesse's idol more trouble than it was worth? It, it all depends how the rest of the game plays out. I think um, Mark's still in the game. If Mark can get through to the next few rounds and it gets to the end, then it's totally worth it. Um, so you have to ask me that question at the very, very end um, because I think I any means is worth it. 
Um, and like, you, you know, you change yeah. one thing and maybe, you know, playing that idol straight away and going to our alliance of Josh going, oh, I got this idol for you. Let's play this together. But this, this, tr- both the tribes were very weird with idols this season. It's like that if Dave particularly was like Gollum with idols. Like, you know, I kept trying to say to Dave, <laughs> an idol in the hands of your alliance is much, is better than in the hands of the minority. And he's like, get rid of the idol. And I'm just like, mate, it's in the hands of people that you're working with. And I, people did not get that. So I had to keep it quiet. It was intense. It changed the way I would have liked to play the game. That said, people didn't believe Geordie for one very clear reason. After we got back to camp, after Jesse was voted out, I did the proposal with Geordie and he came back to camp, um, to the fireplace after that and said, oh, I can't believe Jesse went home with his idol. Mm. <laughs> he said that. And then I think he must have slept on it and been like, I can't work with these people. Like I think in the heat of the moment he thought these are my only, this is my only way forward to go with Sam and Mark. But then he slept on it and it was like, no, nah, I can't trust these people and then literally the next two days he told everybody that I had the idol. Um, but no one believed him because everyone heard him say, you know, Jesse went home with the idol. And he actually made a few mistakes like that. Like another time he said, oh, I can't believe Jesse went home with the idol. And Josh just looked at me and he was like, so I don't know what was going on with Geordie. I don't even know if he truly realises the weight of that, but it meant people didn't trust him. Mm. Yeah. To piggyback off of what you were saying with it always being a plan to possibly sacrifice one or the other to further your game. Now, I understand it. it's very different when you have two idols and you know you can make it potentially further as a duo. But if there were no idols in play at all, do you feel you would try and get as far as you could as a duo or would you try and sacrifice one of you a little bit sooner to have sway with the jury back at the villas? Uh, it would have been a harder decision because it would have felt like you had no security. Um, having the idols actually gave us clarity in so many ways to make those bolder decisions. It's funny, I remember doing my master interview before we started the game and they said, what is your dream scenario? And we said, one of us... Uh, in the jury at the middle and one at the end. Um, and it was just so funny. Like, obviously, we don't know where. I mean, it's going to be tough for Mark. Mark has got a tough battle, particularly after playing both idols and then proving to everyone that he had two idols all along. And it's going to be interesting to see the repercussions with Chrissy and Josh for that deceit. Um, but I feel like I lived up to the end of the bargain. I got to the jury in the middle. So now it's like it's all on Mark. And, yes, I, I'd say I am now out of the active game, but I am definitely still in the game. This kind of takes us – your jury <laughs> takes us into the next question. Between Jesse nodding about the idol – and Jordan sending some kind of Morse code about you, we saw what looked like some significant interference by the jury. How accurately was that portrayed in the show, and how did that feel? Uh, it was not Morse code, it was this. <gasps> really? Yeah. For those at home not seeing the video, Sam is holding up two fingers and pointing at Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. 
Yeah, I mean, it was intentional. And I want to kind of soften it for Jordan for a little bit because, like, I don't know how much of a fan he is of the game. Um, him and Josh only found out real not long before the game started that they were in. I'm a big fan, so I'm offended by someone in the jury tampering with um, the outcome. But for Jordan's perspective, and you've got to remember, like, the cast is made up with people from different walks of life with different connections to the game of Survivor. For him, that was just betrayal. Um, and he's sitting there and he had just gotten voted out the night before. He would have done all of his exit press. I reckon he was thinking, I've just got voted out on the weirdest advantage. What is going on? And he was furious, which made it all the more clear that I needed to get to that jury. I mean, it's funny how the biggest decisions that Mark and I had in the game, we were seamless in our decision-making process. And I remember when the votes were cast and we sat back down and I whispered to Mark, it's fine, I'm good to go. Um, but then when Josh was doing that, play the idol, play the idol for you, um, I said to Mark, I was like, your choice. And I felt guilty for doing that, but I also wanted the jury to see that Mark was in the driver's seat. We had made it very clear to each other that I was going home. Um, I felt like that try, the people sitting on the jury were pretty much, um, people of my game, like uh, Red OG and then Blue 2.1, they knew the game that I had done, but they weren't aware of the game that Mark did. So he had to be the clear decision maker to the public perception at that point. Um, but I do feel bad because I'm sure he would have felt guilty like he was the one that sent me home. But I knew it. Josh wasn't speaking to me. I saw the indicators that were happening, like the writing was on the wall for me. Um, doesn't I think it was less on the wall for Mark, but I was really sure about it. But it sucks well, for a Survivor yeah. fan. It's like, and I, and I took a bit to get over that. Like I remember kind of getting off and um, being like, that's interference. Um, and I don't know if Josh, like it's hard to know now because everyone's version of reality is thwarted and confused and revisionist history. I am very clear about that. And Jordan even acknowledged it in the jury that he did that. Um, and other people saw it, but I don't know how much that influenced Josh on the night. Yeah, it drives me nuts. It drives me nuts because there <laughs> used to be, I remember a time when there were rules at tribal council. You couldn't whisper, the jury couldn't make a noise, all that. Oh, this was a very, I think we were quite active. The jury was active. Um, which I know you're probably going to ask about this last episode where my face looks like I'm... <laughs> Please, let's talk about that. Yeah, when Mark pulls out his second idol once and for all and you <laughs> are shaking your head and I was like, well, if if jury's interfering, let's let's do it then because now oh, I to interfere. No, so I didn't do that. So I didn't <laughs> shake my – okay, so that's incorrect. I never gave any okay. indication to Mark. I was sitting on the jury and my gut feeling was Mark didn't need to play it. And in my head I was like, do I give him any indication? And I was like, hell no. I'm not on the ground. I don't know what's happening. They could all be faking it, and I'm not going to be the one that loses Mark, his spot in the game, by telling him. So I was deadpanned. I was literally deadpanned. But then he – so my shake is when he played it and what he said. And, oh. yeah, I never shook my head. Absolutely not. Like I was like this the whole time. Um, and then he played it and he said the words, the ghost of Jesse. And I'm sitting next, like, Jesse's not far from me. I could hear him. 
I've been doing a lot of work in the jury, like trying to soften people. And if I was Mark, I would have spoken a little bit differently. But like Mark also wanted to show that he was making a play and he was bold. So he's got his reasons, but I've got a different perspective from it. So by that point, I didn't need to have a poker face if I ever had one. (laughs) And (laughs) I was just like, oh, I can't believe it. Like I'm going to have to go back to to jury, everyone's going to be mad. I've got Geordie coming back. I probably was a little bit showing what I personally knew that I was going to have to endure going back. Um, deep down, though, I knew that he made the right play. I mean, you have to, our thing was play that idol every time that you don't win an immunity. Um, and he hadn't won two immunities, so we had to play it. Like, you can't, I mean, you could see even at camp, like, people were throwing Mark's name around, um, you know, Jordan, sorry, Josh and Geordie clearly were working together at different points in the game. So even though I felt from a jury member perspective where you're sitting higher, you can see everybody's facial reactions that Mark didn't need to play it. It's different for him. There is one big takeaway from this season that I think is important and kind of transcends the game here. And I think that's the portrayal of and reaction to women who play aggressive and strategic games on Survivor, particularly on Australian Survivor. Because after you voted Jesse out with his idol in your bag, you were portrayed as villainous, paranoid, controlling. And I think that was a significant shift that we saw in the edit itself. And then, of course, there was the fan reaction to that that you have touched on a little bit. Uh, But... Do you think that if the script was flipped on that and say Mark or Jesse or or any other man in the game made the move that you made, that we would see the same edit and the same reaction? Um, We have seen male players in Australian Survivor make similar moves. And I know they cop some heat. Um, I know that when David did what he did to Phoebe in All Stars, um, he copped. Spo- spoiler. We haven't seen it, but it doesn't oh, matter. Please but it, talk. Please oh, it's just talk. okay. It's just a move. It's not saying who won. It's just a, no. it's just one move in the game. But a very a similar play happened, um, and Dave was really malice in how he did that to Phoebe, and so there was a, a little backlash about David's hardcore, but he never got personal attacks. I, definitely not to the magnitude that I received. And in the end, like he's the golden god, and. Not at one point did people say, oh, he's not going to cop votes by with the jury because of that play. And that's probably for me because I always try and think strategically. Like There's such an uproar from everyone on Twitter and social media of, well, because Sam played that move, there's no way anyone's going to give her a jury vote at the end. And I'm like, why? <laughs> why not? Like that's literally a play. Um, you know, we're not here to all be best mates. Like, it's great that we can have beautiful personal relationships in the moment. Sorry, my throat. But the game is about making strategic play that's cunning and clever. And, you know, I felt that I was doing that. And so, yes, it was very disappointed to see the, the, the backlash. I was expecting to be shown as a villain. Like, I was prepared for that. But I thought, like, that's cool. Like, Survivor, you know, we celebrate villains. That's a part of the game. But then to be a villain that is so despised publicly for literally just doing the game, I was like, oh, I I think it is gender. And 
It's been hard to take because I work for myself. I work with incredible women. I kind of have been removed from gender bias in my professional and personal life because I just I'm not surrounded by it. And it was once again a reminder of the inequality of women and how we can play games like this. And we clearly have a really far way to go. And I'm comfortable playing a role in survivor's history that we've now seen it. Maybe next time that we see it, the reaction won't be as severe because people will be more used to it. I mean, outrage comes by unfamiliarity and by ingrained bias. So now if we take away the unfamiliarity aspect, maybe a bit of it will be removed and then we've got to work to systemic bias. This whole reaction to your move really reminded me that not everybody has gone on the survivor journey that I have gone on, and particularly in Australia. And I I don't know if this is correct or not, but Australia's had seven seasons of Survivor. I think back to when the U.S. had seven seasons of Survivor. And, you know, we had uh, Sandra Diaz-Twine win. And that's one of our ultimate villains who just happens to be also on this and celebrated as the queen of Survivor. But it took time for Sandra to become the queen of Survivor. People were up in arms that she even won Heroes versus Villains. Uh, You look at Parvati after winning Micronesia, after playing a very, very sneaky game where we had a women's alliance who were very devious, uh, tricked somebody into handing over an immunity necklace and then voting him out. You know, the reaction at the time wasn't great uh, yeah. in terms of the gendered reaction at the time. And, and sort of the, the, luckily, I think social media wasn't where it is today. So I think those players weren't as reachable as say you are today, but it, it goes to show, I think that Australian survivors, although it's, it's held up as, you know, some say the greatest version of the game globally, and I think there's an argument to be made there. There's still a ways to come for the audience, I think, in their understanding of Survivor and what makes a great player and what makes a great winner. And and not just um, the viewer, but also the players. I mean, the players are a representation often of the viewers. And I was comfortable going to the jury as opposed to Mark because I could feel that sentiment also was was being had amongst the people I was playing the game with. And so, um, yeah, you know, you can make as many big moves that you want that you think are great moves, but if the people that you're playing with don't respect them, you're in a really hard position and that's where you have to moderate yourself all the time to the people that you're in association with. So, you know, yeah, it, I won't lie, it's been challenging and I sometimes look at the response between Geordie and myself who are often pitted against each other in the game. So I don't just think that I was dealing with gender bias, but I think I was also dealing with a thing in Australian culture called the tall poppy syndrome versus the underdog. And so, like, I played that second half of the game in a majority. Um, you know, I Mark and I were kind of on top. We had two idols. We had a lot of power in the game. So that's what we call a tall poppy. So when a poppy is taller than the rest of the poppies in a field, The Australian culture is let's cut it down to be back to size versus Mm. Geordie lives into this iconic nature of the underdog. Like we love the underdog, we love a fighter, despite the fact that that player became an underdog because he was untrustworthy, got his brother voted out, and then he got voted out. So 
He's an underdog by virtue of some missteps that he made in the game, but we still celebrate that. And so that was my frustration on top of the gender bias that I was kind of intrigued by the fact that someone can get voted out of this game because of what they did. I mean, Geordie could have been in the majority, but he, and if he was in the majority, I bet you his reception would have been a lot different. But because of it, you know, he becomes his fan favorite. So, I mean, it's culture. It takes time. And, you know, I also think you can't fight that stuff. Just play you and deal with the consequence later. I am obsessed with what you just said about the underdog story. I truly, truly am because there are so many people that are praised for doing so well as an underdog. And I'm always just baffled why we choose to see missteps as an underdog story as opposed to circumstance that you have no control over whatsoever. And that is like the true beautiful underdog story that I always root for, always, always, always. So I love that you said that. Thank you for vocalizing it in such a beautiful way because I could never. (laughs) Um, So... This is pretty vague. This is pretty vague. I apologize. Is there anything else from your survivor experience that the audience may not be aware of that you just want to share? Something that yeah, you haven't been asked about that you're just like, I want to bring this damn thing up now. <laughs> oh, I mean, I think the only thing I want to reiterate is like I wasn't just writing, you know, um, Mark's coattails. Um, we obviously see when I yielded my alliance for Mark and that I battled with Mark for that because I was so aware of perception. It, you know, I remember I say so much in the game, perception is reality. So I was challenged by it because I was like, I know what people are going to think. Um, but the reality is people don't pay attention to the fact that there were many decisions that I made that Mark just followed, um, you know, leaving the idols at home, Um I'm not telling anyone that we had a second idol. Like those were my decisions and Mark agreed with them. And I think sometimes like be more discerning as a viewer. Don't just go into like the obvious plot or the narrative. Like if you want to be a true lover of this game and you want to have outrage, like before you outrage, like think about it a little bit Um, because I think every single player there has done something to be where they are. Whether you and we're in the final like couple of episodes of it, whether you like the game or not, you can't get into the final five without having done something. Every one of these players has a story, and the question is how well can they articulate that story at the end to connect with the hearts and minds of the people sitting on the jury? So it is a open book in my opinion right now, and so I'm kind of they've all done a good job, whether you like what they've done or not. If asked again, would you play again? <laughs> um, you know how you like go through so many emotions of this. Um, yeah, I, I now feel like I would definitely want to play without my husband. <laughs> um, I love Mark, but you know, if if I had if I had played one season with Mark and one season without Mark, maybe my answer would be no, um, because I'd lived both sides of it. But I feel like I only know Survivor with Mark um, and it's th- yeah. this second time round. like I had to consider things that I don't think most players ever have to think about. So, and we're different people. Like even the way he communicated about playing that second idol, like I would never do that. But that's him and, and he can do him and I wish I could do me a little bit more. Well, you know, Jonathan posted that picture with Jeff Probst that turned out not to be <laughs> a deep fake. And 
lots of talk of U.S. versus Australia. I mean, it seems like a pipe dream, but wow, I couldn't imagine. I put out a call for questions on the Drop Your Buffs Instagram account uh, for you, and we were flooded with questions. People are so excited that you're coming on this podcast, almost as excited as I I was when you said yes. <laughs> and uh, we didn't have time to get to a lot of those questions, but I think we talked about most of it. But there was one question that stuck out to me, and that is, you know, to this idea of playing again. Is there one player from the U.S. version of Survivor, you've already played with Sandra, somebody other than Sandra, that you would love to play against? You can say Ricard if you want, but you can say somebody you else. Know, well, but you also do not have to say Ricard. <laughs> well, you know how much I'd love to play against with um, you. I, I mean, I love sassy players who are bold but also are logical so that's the type of players I like to work with. Um, I love a player. So I'm going to talk about a type because I think everyone has the potential to be that. I have so many favourites, but I don't want to – I'm not going to fan girl or boy this. Um, but I love players that you can have open strategic chat with and they don't then go and leak it. And so, you know, my whole thing with Survivor is everyone's possibility. Everyone could be a great player. I don't like to pigeonhole people. Um, you get a feel from them really early on. So, Ricard, like I remember we watched your first three episodes when we were in quarantine before we played Survivor. Oh. Um, and I remember going, oh, this guy's good. Um, so you were, I was like trying to not watch US Survivor before playing Australian Survivor. But, I mean, you had a quite a interesting season in terms of just how it all it was so different than any other American season um I feel like you need to get a second chance to maybe play on a slightly different flavored season agree so, I'm rooting for you to play a second time let's just put this onto you <laughs> <laughs> no please everybody put this on to me <laughs> <laughs> that's always my strategy <laughs> yeah, exactly well i would love to see both of you play again as a as a super fan of survivor i think you're you're you both brought the strategy sam it was so incredible to watch you this season i mean i i don't think anybody could deny that you made this season what it was it was so exciting i have to say that Water 2.0 tribe was the highlight of the season. What an iconic group of people and, and what a wild dynamic. And every single vote where you went to tribal was just nobody knew what was going to happen. I, I need to finish with two things. Um, Water 2.0 was like basically we were living a real-life musical. I had a song for every occasion. People say, Sam's so serious, and I'm like, Sam is not serious. <laughs> Literally, I sang my whole way through Water 2.0, um, so much so that Ben one time rolled his eyes when I started to sing, and I whispered to Jesse, he's got to go next. I'm like, you don't roll your eyes at me singing. <laughs> and we, um, we decided to be – I decided to be the witch from Macbeth, and I auditioned <laughs> – people to be the witch with me and we'd go around the fire pit at night going double double toil and trouble and you want to guess who my two other witches were obviously can't like jumped up pretty quickly but the third witch was croc can you imagine croc can and i in the middle of the night running around the fire pit so yeah we had a lot of fun and i just want to thank all the american listeners who listen to your podcast because it seems like 
Americans have understood and connected with my game probably more than most. And I just appreciate the love that I've received from everyone who listens to your podcast and American viewers of the show. Yeah, well, it's been so fun. It feels like feels like America's finally embracing Australian Survivor. Um, I mean, it's not on Paramount Plus anymore, I but know. for a brief time, <laughs> for, for a few weeks it was. Uh, but it's been so fun, and we've been getting so much feedback about uh, this season and you and your game in particular and Mark's game. And, and so I just want to thank you so much for coming on to Drop Your Buffs again and so much for being such a great supporter of our little recap show. Thank you so much. Aww. Cheers, cheers, cheers. Aw, you guys. Okay, we will let you go, Sam. This was so excellent. Bye. Bye -bye. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.